Welcome to the Good Dog Pod. I am your host, Laura Reeves. Here at the Good Dog Pod, we are all about supporting dog breeders and responsible dog ownership. We provide dog lovers with the latest updates in canine health and veterinary care, animal legislation and legal advocacy, canine training and behavior science, and dog breeding practices. Subscribe and join our mission today to help give our dogs the world they deserve. Welcome, everyone. I am Laura Reeves, host of the Good Dog Pod. And I have a very special guest for us today. Laura Joseph is the owner of the Animal Behavior Center. And you're in Ohio, right, Laura? Yeah, just outside of Toledo. Excellent. And she is going to talk to us about, I think, a topic that a lot of us want more information about, right? And that is understanding our dog's behavior and how you can really see those signals that the dog is giving you and use applied behavior analysis and get some great results, right? Sure. Yeah, sure. great. <laughs> awesome. I'm excited to talk. I'm always excited to talk about this. Well, you'll find that if you listen to any of my podcasts, they're mostly geek out sessions because... <laughs> I find it so exciting and so interesting, and so it turns into a really fun conversation. Good. So thank you for joining us, Laura. I appreciate it tremendously. And so give us a little how you started with this and some of the work you're doing. You talk about working with exotics and sort of the application of that to dogs, and I just think this is so fascinating. Thanks. Yeah, so do I. Laura, I got into this. I wish I got into it sooner than I did. Unfortunately, it happened when it did about 15 years ago when I first acquired a certain species of animal I had no history of working with, didn't know anything about them, and that was a parrot. (laughs) So I was working with an undomesticated animal that at that time, there was not a lot of science-based information out there about working with them in their behavior and training. So that was my segue into working with animals using applied behavior analysis. And now here I am 15 years later, I have a 10,000 square foot facility in which I focus on teaching people how to understand the use of applied behavior analysis with all species of animals, but a focus on exotics and exotics meaning zoo and any type of undomesticated animal, but not limited to. We do work with dogs here as well. And the reason I focus on exotics is because your dogs are domesticated and a lot of them can be very resilient to the use of force, subversives, coercion, positive punishers, but you try that with a parrot. You know, I work with a lot of zoo animals, too. You try this with, say, giraffe and alligator, all which I train, (laughs) a turkey vulture, and they are not going to be very resilient. I like to focus on exotics because you use force or versus with them, your life is in danger. Right. And that's the importance of understanding the laws of behavior. A lot of times in applied behavior analysis, I call it the science of common sense, because you're probably already using it anyway, you may not understand the side effects of what you're doing. Right. I loved what you said. You know, you can probably push your dog's butt down and make it sit, but try that with a giraffe. I'm like, yeah, that that seems. (laughs) Yeah. Try that with a giraffe where, I mean, you push them, they can kick you, they can hurt you with their head. Right. So, yeah, I mean, 
the message is there, the power of the laws of behavior and using positive reinforcement, it's there. Right. So let's take that and apply that you wouldn't do this to a giraffe, don't do it to your dog. <laughs> let's take that yeah. and talk about some very specific behaviors that you could see and how a listener would use applied behavior to shape a different behavior. Okay. First off, like when I'm working with any animal, especially one that I'm not very familiar with or I'm not familiar with that individual animal, I need to really understand behavior. I need to understand what that animal is trying to tell me or tell me what to do or tell me what not to do. So that's like with working with the dogs, you pay attention to the growl, you pay attention to the lip licking the body language of the animal. So some of the things that I will start doing is just basic target training, teaching the animal to touch a particular body part to an object. And then at the same time, if I have to shape that, many times I do, I'll shape that, but I'm sitting there trying to understand and accurately read that animal's body language and understand what it looks like when they're pushed too far, when they're not comfortable, when they are comfortable. And I do that a lot of times, Laura, just starting with the target. Put your nose in my hand, put your nose to a stick, and then that way I can correlate what that body language looks like all the while in giving them space and all the choice that they want to stay with me or walk away from me. If they walk away from me, then I'm understanding, okay, either I'm not using a high enough valued reinforcer or the animal isn't comfortable with what I'm asking. Right. And so now let's take that and apply it to a very specific case. I have a, I don't know, an 80 pound, six month old mastiff that thinks flinging himself up on my 90 year old grandmother is a fun thing to do, <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which trust me, I've seen all of this. So what is it that we're going to observe is the behavior and if you will, the cure. Yeah. Obviously, that's a behavior we don't want. So the first thing I'm going to do, Laura, is understand what is reinforcing the behavior. Right. What's causing that behavior to maintain and increase. And then once I identify that reinforcer, I will withhold that reinforcer for the undesired behavior while delivering it for another behavior, an alternate behavior, one that's desired by us. Such as, I mean, in that instance, it would probably be stationing. Go to an area and stay there until I ask you to do otherwise. Obviously, stationing, you know, it's only going to happen for a small period of time. And the one thing I wouldn't do is just withhold the reinforcer for the undesired behavior because then you're going to get a very frustrated animal that's probably going to go into extinction bursts, meaning showing extreme high rates of the undesired behavior because the animal has a history of that working and getting a desired consequence and now all of a sudden it's not. So you can get into high anxiety, frustration bursts, which could lead to other undesired behaviors such as behaviors labeled as aggression. Right. What you were describing there, I think we could segue that into an absolutely fabulous discussion on crate training because you see that so often when we're crate training puppies, right? And the dog barks and you let him out and the dog barks and you let him out and the next time you don't let him out and then so it barks and 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 barks, which you just described. I think that's a perfect explanation for why the dog is doing that behavior. Yeah. And we may have, we as their caretakers, their trainers, we may think the dog needs to understand this. But when you have an extinction burst, something like that, 
the dog doesn't understand. It's not understanding the contingencies. So that's when we need to go back and say, before the dog jumps on your 90-year-old grandmother, before your 90-year-old grandmother even comes into the room, teach the dog a station. Before shutting in its crate for several hours at a time, we need to shape that calm, relaxed behavior in the crate before we shut the door for a long period of time. Right. So the dog understands the contingencies. Absolutely. And I think it's important, too, for the owner, the trainer, what have you, to understand that dogs don't come out of the box trained. Right. I think so many times when I see people, you know, you get on all these little social media groups and everybody's like, well, why is my puppy doing blood? I'm thinking because the puppy has you beautifully trained, honey. Exactly. <laughs> and with that being said, Laura, one of the labels that when I hear, I'm just like, ooh, you are missing such an opportunity to train this animal, is the label the terrible twos. Right. Those are the years where the animal is learning and understanding and manipulating its environment to get consequences that it desires. And I hear a lot of people say, oh, it's just the terrible twos, just wait it out. Whoa. What's happening is the animal's learning contingencies and consequences in its environment and if that animal can see, hear, smell, or feel you, you're training it, whether you realize it or not. The key question is, what are you training it to do? That, that what you said just there, I think that is so important to understand that every interaction that we have with our dogs, every single one, whether we think it is or not, we're training them or they're training us. Yeah. And I'm okay being trained. I'm okay with the animal <laughs> training me right? as long as I'm training you because training is learning, learning is communication. And I want to be a part of that team with that dog or that animal. It just needs to produce consequences that the dog's not going to lose its home. Right. And that I can be happy in the home as well. We can be happy together. Right. Absolutely. So give us another example of a good behavior that we can identify specifically what the dog is looking for, its reward, and offer it a different reward to get a better result. Sure. Okay. Yeah. One that comes to me off the top of my head is digging. We have a blind and deaf border collie here that'll be two years old next week. And boy, she gave me a run for my money. (laughs) 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 Not only just a border collie, but now I have one deaf and blind. Wow. She can't see. She can't hear. She is constantly seeking information and learning from her environment. We have this leak in our center that majority of our center is all grass. It's an enclosed building with grass inside. And when it rains, one of the gutters leaks right in the center of the building, creating a small mud puddle. Well, what I was seeing was her coming back into one of the training rooms covered in mud. And I would go out into the center and I would find this hole. And I'm like, I need to redirect this immediately. (laughs) Exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. I have a border collie that's finding her own enrichment. Yes. So I tried to identify what is the reinforcer behind the digging, and she was only digging in this one spot. So I went out and I paid attention, and because she's deaf and blind, when that water would drip on the back of her head, it caused, I saw, curiosity. And it would target her to that area. She would feel the water on the dirt, which is now turning into mud. 
So the water, the texture of the mud, which reinforced the digging. So immediately, I mean, I had this happen probably four or five times. And then I'm like, we've got to redirect this immediately because she's already learning this is bringing a desired consequence. So I took the reinforcer, which was, well, one of them, the water. And I introduced her to the hose and I introduced her to a kiddie pool. And I had to shape the behavior of her jumping into a kiddie pool full of water. And then she would dig. We put all kinds of like two-inch plastic balls in there. Right. And she liked feeling them moving around on top of the water. And it redirected her attention to the pool and away from the mud puddle. And we have not had a problem with digging since. Because I nipped it in the bud immediately and redirected behavior. Right. And so her reinforcer for her was the fun, if you will, right? The digging activity itself was reinforcing itself. Yeah. I think the digging activity in the mud, the water, Mm. the mixture, the splash. And it was probably, Laura, because she's deaf and blind, it was probably the temperature difference of the water on her skin and the mud on her skin. So I provided it to her in the pool. Wow. That is wild. The challenge of a deaf and blind dog. I mean, you can get one or the other and you can deal with it, but both. That is a heck of a heck of a challenge. And, you know, something I also say, Laura, because we're getting ready to bring in on Tuesday next week, a fully flighted blind parrot. Wow. And I always say we don't learn from easy. No. And these are my challenges. These are the animals that I'm like, okay, how can we do this together? Amazing. Okay, so I hear this one a lot, and I know this one is frequently a cause of problems for people. Back to that crate training situation and talking about shaping a calm behavior in the dog crate. And I'm hoping that we can lay this out in such a way. I mean, most of my listeners are pretty experienced dog people, but this is something I'd like to be able to share with people who are newer to the concept so that this is something that anybody can do. I think that's so important for people to understand. They hear us talking. They're like, oh, mumbo jumbo, I can't. I want to make sure that people understand this is something all of us can do. Yeah, and it's all about shaping, reinforcing small approximations towards the desired behavior. We were just talking about this in a discussion this morning. That is differential reinforcement. And now that's the lingo mumbo jumbo. Right. It is shaping. You take too big of steps in your shaping plan, you obviously can turn what you're trying to train into an aversive, something the animal doesn't like. Mm. You stick the dog in the crate for two hours, and that could be way too big of a step in the shaping plan. What I do is when I'm crate training, I crate train when I don't have to leave, and I'll put the crate where it's convenient and easy for me to see. And you can target the dog to go into the crate. And then the rates of reinforcement, really high. The behavior is being reinforced in high amounts while it's in the crate. Door is always open. Dog chooses to come out, reinforcement stops. The dog is likely to turn around and go back in. As soon as it goes back in, boom, reinforcement in high amounts. And if you don't push the dog too fast, you can see this happen and pending on the history of the dog or if we're working with a puppy, right? you can see this happen pretty quickly. And all the dog is starting to understand contingencies. If I do this, then this happens. Dog steps out of the crate. If I do this, then this doesn't happen. So the dog is going to move back towards things that bring desired consequences. And then 
what I do is you'll see the dog go into the crate, sit and wait for reinforcers to be delivered. Then I start with shutting the door and I shut the door of the crate, maybe an inch, tell it good, you know, mark that behavior, open the door back up, deliver a reinforcer. And then if the dog stands up, door opens, you know, you Mm want to go out, fine, go ahead and go out, reinforcement stops. So that's just incorporating choice. I don't want the dog to feel trapped in your choices are now, boom, gone, or a lot of them. Then I shape the behavior of the dog being in the crate, the door being shut for 15 seconds, 30 seconds, a minute, three minutes, four minutes. So those are my training sessions throughout the day when I'm not leaving. And then some people choose to feed their dogs in the crate. I never did because I didn't have to. But what I would do is for longer periods of time, that's when the dog would get a specific treat, highly valued treat that it got at no other time. And that would be like a stuffed pong. Right. So what you're doing is creating conditioned reinforcers. Every time I go in the crate, the dog gets this specific food reinforcer that it gets at no other time. And that way, if the dog is getting it at no other time, pairing it with going in the crate, there's your conditioned reinforcer. Boom, you'll start to see the dog. As you approach the crate, the dog is approaching the crate with you, wagging its tail, waiting to go in because it knows the consequence, which is very desirable. Right. I love that because over the course of time with certain dogs, I have used in the show ring a special toy that only comes out when it's in the show ring for a dog that maybe wasn't as motivated to show but loved this particular toy. So do you see that as something that you could speak to about conditioning a response of excitement in a specific situation? Sure. And when that animal is getting that toy or that food reinforcer or whatever, the animal is always the one that decides the reinforcer. Right. When the dog is getting that highly valued reinforcer at no other time, one of the things in the list that I go through, the four main factors of reinforcer effectiveness, one is deprivation. And that's exactly what you and I are working with. And it does not mean to deprive the animal of food. What it means is the longer that highly valued reinforcer is withheld, the higher value it becomes. When it's paired with going in, like you said, in the show ring or going into the crate, they're more eager to interact. There's the conditioned reinforcer. It's paired with, it's associated with, and it becomes, you know, I see a lot of dogs very excited if that consistency is there. Right. Okay. Very, very cool. Last topic I wanted to touch on. We could sit here and talk about this for months. Hours and months (laughs) and days. Absolutely. And like I said, when we started, this could be a complete geek out session. So my apologies. I get a little distracted. (laughs) Hey, I'm all about geeking out on behavior. That's what I do. Okay. So working on aggression issues. So if you have a dog with aggression issues, what I'd like you to speak to very specifically, if you could because we see this come up again and again and again and again in people's commentaries in various places is aggression is a problem that people run into. And so I would love it if we could talk a little bit about, as we're understanding behavior, some of those body languages that we might miss, even those of us who are relatively experienced with dogs, that we might miss 
early signs, early warning signs that aren't way before you get to the growl and talk about some of those body languages that the dogs will give us. Sure. And I'm thinking a wide variety of animals too, but one thing that I think is pretty consistent across species is the freezing Mm -hmm. where the animal just freezes. If I see an animal freeze, you bet I'm going to stop whatever I am doing, whether that animal is looking at me or looking at something in the environment. I am going to stop whatever I'm doing, and I'm going to look at what that dog or that animal is looking at to identify the reinforcer behind the freeze. Because then those now can become cues to me, this needs work. Mm -hmm. And by work, I don't mean people pair the word work with aversives. But it's not. I mean, this needs attention. This mm-hmm. needs focus. Why well, I need to focus on this right now before this escalates to, I don't know what's going to come next. Right. I don't want to find out what comes next. So there's one that I look for, freezing. Mm-hmm. Even if the dog's tail goes stiff, drops, whatever, those are things I'll watch for and take a look at what's in the environment, what is causing this. And if it's me, (laughs) you know what I mean? I definitely don't want that to happen. So then I'll identify why is this happening. And that's what's so great about using a target, Mm -hmm. especially a target stick with several of the animals I work with. And every dog is its own individual. Their behaviors may be and are going to be different from the next one. Mm-hmm. So if I'm target training and if I'm target training with a potential case of aggression, the first thing I'm going to pull out is a target stick. And that's because if I misidentify and I push that animal past its comfort level and it aggresses on the stick, at least it wasn't my hand. Right. Yeah. But that doesn't mean it's okay. You don't want to see that happen again because now you're reinforcing the aggression. Right. That's what I do with a lot of different zoo animals. I'm like, whoa, what does this mean? So I'll start with a target stick. And then I'm pairing those behaviors with positive reinforcers. And I don't move to the next step until I clearly understand and that dog clearly understands what I'm doing. Because pushing that dog too far could reinforce aggression. Right. You could also maybe touch on that just a little bit because I don't think that necessarily it's well understood that aggression almost becomes self-rewarding. I mean, I don't know if that's like technically accurate. But <laughs> Meaning the aggression serves a purpose? Yes. And it gets them what they want. Yes. Yeah. Jeez. I could go forever on this one. <laughs> You know, I know because that is so common in the exotic world. You ask the animal to do something like I'm thinking exotics in my head. I'll put dogs back in my head. The growl didn't work. So now the dog starts to lunge. Right. If you pull your hand back, which I highly suggest you do, (laughs) if you pull your hand back and the dog wanted you to retreat, you just retreated. Now the dog knows. That's what works. The growl didn't the lunge. Exactly. And if you keep pushing, then it reinforces the dog to do something else. Okay, the growl didn't work. The lunge didn't work. Now let's try the bite. Right. I get bit by a dog. Yeah, I am retreating. Mm-hmm. And now you've taught the dog that's what works. That exactly. has happened. And I think about it honestly in terms of things like grooming. Okay, doing toenails. 
And so the brand new owner has the brand new dog and the owner's already a little nervous about trimming nails because they don't want to make the dog bleed and they don't want to hurt the dog. And that's great. And so the dog has picked up the owner's nervousness. The dog growls when the owner goes to do the toenails. The owner doesn't do the toenails. They run away and everything is happy. And the dog said, hey, look, <laughs> that works. That works. Right. <laughs> look what works. Exactly. Right. Exactly. I had a dog here. This has been a while ago. It was one that would lunge and bite. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, this was this individual case. Where I started with this dog was distance mm-hmm. from me. Right. And I would toss treats, not behind it, because I did not want it turning its back on me, because then I'm likely reinforcing exactly what I'm trying to change. Right. So if the dog was not comfortable taking its eyes off of me, I didn't want it to take its eyes off of me. I will always, if I'm working with an aggressive case, with a history of reinforcement, meaning that aggression has been there right. for longer periods of time, I will always work off contact, protective contact. Right. There will always be something between me and the animal in case I make a wrong move. Right. I don't want to make that wrong move twice because now the behavior is being reinforced. What I would do was toss treats to the side so the dog could still keep its eye on me. And then I would just retreat. So my mm. reinforcer is the food. Another reinforcer was increasing distance. Wow. And so in the home setting and you have a new dog or you have a situation and you see the freeze or you see maybe the, I don't know, pick another behavior. Hear the growl. Hear the growl. I know I will see dogs sometimes that are indicating to me from my understanding of behavior that they are uncomfortable before they get to the growl things like staring or that not even just hackles up but ears penned sort of look all of those sorts of things yeah what was your question (laughs) the question then becomes identifying some of those for the listeners to other things that they can look for between the freeze and the growl that would indicate to them that they need to focus on, as you said, whatever it is that's causing the problem. Yeah. Some that I look for here is the furrowed brow, mm-hmm. you know, that look of concern. It may not be aggression yet, but those can be antecedents to something turning into aggression. Right. The tone of the bark. Is the bark different? Mm-hmm. I know with my dogs, I know the sound of the play bark or the warning bark or the bark that, hey, there's something wrong here. So the tone of the bark, the furrowed brow, the intensity behind the run, the pace of the run. I'm trying to think of like something towards the door. You know what I mean? Right. That run, that stance, that gallop is different when I come home versus a stranger's at the door. Mm-hmm. So just in how the intensity of how they're moving. Right. Just their whole body carriage. So are they loose yeah. and playful or are they stiff-legged and wary? Right. Yes. In addition to the ones that we've already talked about, those are a couple more. I'm paying attention to that. Mm-hmm. Can I get the dog's attention back? You know what I mean? Those are things I'm uh, looking yeah. for. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. The intensity of the stare. Mm-hmm. And those in conjunction with several of the behaviors that we already listed, if I cannot get that eye contact back, yeah, we've got something to work on or we may have a problem. So those are all antecedents. Those are things I'm looking for 
those are cues, that body language, that communication, those are cues that I'm looking for where I'm thinking, what is this? What exactly is going on? Because it's not normally what I see during play and relaxation. Right. So that's how I identify it. Right. Absolutely. I just want to make sure that we're giving people tools, right? Like that's my goal here all the time. Here's a tool for this. And so identification of some of those communications, which I think it makes me sad sometimes because I think there are so many people who don't hear what their dogs are trying to tell them. Oh, sure, Laura. You know, and they don't hear what their dog is trying to tell them or they don't see or they don't understand, you know? Right. And I guess I use the word here like the dog is trying to communicate with you and you are not getting it. (laughs) Right. Well, that was just like we had a dog in here recently where it was here for jumping. Mm. And so we picked the replacement behavior. And I always tell people in order to change an undesired behavior, you have to replace it with another one. So we identified the reinforcer, which was attention for jumping. Mm -hmm. We trained the replacement behavior with sit. So the dog, we trained the sit in the contingency of when you sit, then you get the attention. When you jump, nothing happens. Mm -hmm. We were sitting there talking. The dog was walking around the room. The dog sat. And I'm just like, I'm looking at the dog and it's like, reinforce it, reinforce it, reinforce it, <laughs> reinforce that behavior. You know what I mean? Right, and right. And the girl's looking at me like, what? You know, and I'm like, the dog is sitting. And she goes, oh, I know. Sorry, but I was just focusing on our conversation. And I'm right. like, well, and that's exactly if you do not reinforce that sit now that that dog has a history of jumping, it's going to regress back to what once worked, which is going to be the jump. Right. Because the dog's sitting there like, I'm giving you the behavior. You're not paying attention. My reinforcer is not being delivered. So I'm going to go offer behaviors where it is delivered. Now that right there, I think is such a huge piece of this because people will listen and they'll do the thing and then they'll forget. And so what I talk to people about is consistency. So we talk about it when it comes to training for the show ring, but it's the same concept. It has to be the same all the time. If you want it to do this, you can't say, oh, it's okay to jump on me. When I come home from work and you're happy to see me, but bad, bad dog beats you with a stick when you jump on me and I'm in my nice clothes before I leave for work. Exactly. The dog doesn't understand those contingencies. That just makes my head spin off. (laughs) (laughs) And that's what's called an intermittent schedule reinforcement when the reinforcer is delivered once in a while. Right. And that will keep desired and undesired behaviors very strong. But something else, Laura, I was going to say, you and I talking about this is a lot of people will say, yeah, but I can't be walking around with treats on me all the time. Well, reinforcers are so much more than food. We only use food as reinforcers here probably 45% of the time. A lot of the reinforcer is attention, play, interaction, tone of voice, toys, whatever. I think attention is so sadly underlooked because 90% of the time, all the dogs really want is our attention. Exactly. Exactly. So a lot of times people will be like, well, I can't be paying attention to every time my dog sits to go over and deliver a reinforcer. In the beginning, be consistent. Once the dog understands, then you create duration. You create periods of time so you don't have to be sitting there delivering the reinforcer every single time. Right. Excellent. All right. Well, Laura, I swear we could sit here, as you said, and talk about this for months, but... (laughs) Yeah. I think my listeners have probably finished their treadmill now. So 
<laughs> Exercise longer. Uh, right? It's good for you people. Good yeah. cardiovascular. All right. Well, thank you so very much. I really appreciate your time and sitting down to talk with me. Thanks so much for having me on. Appreciate it was great. It was a good time. Excellent. Good Dog is a secure online community that advocates for dog breeders, educates the public, helps informed puppy buyers connect directly with certified good breeders, and promotes responsible dog ownership. Good Dog is offering its good breeders special advanced access to the video recordings and transcripts for the full three-part Q&A webinar series with Dr. Hutchinson. All you have to do is sign up as a breeder at gooddog.com slash join. That is G-O-O-D-D-O-G dot com slash join. Or click the link in the show notes.